Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here with another edition of Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo on board, of course, of MLBpipeline.com. And guys, the trade deadline is behind us, so time to kind of take a step back and, and look at where all the prospects ended up and how those farm systems kind of lay out now. And Jim, you have an article up, Top 10 Farm Systems in Major League Baseball. We're going to work our way through some of that. And and Jonathan with an article on where the best prospects went at the trade deadline. So good stuff. Plus, we have some big prospects who have made their debuts this week in the majors. So let's get right into it. Let's start with the players that moved on the trade deadline because I think then that transitions us nicely into how those systems now stack up. Um, and Jonathan, you have kind of your top 10 uh, on the website, Anderson Espinosa's one. I guess it's all by their ranking, the top 100. But the, the top pa- eight are, yeah, yeah. Anderson Espinosa one, Lewis Brinson two with the Brewers now. Espinosa with the Padres. Clint Frazier, of course, to the Yankees. Glaber Torres also to the Yankees. Luis Ortiz to the Brewers. Phil Bickford to the Brewers. Grant Holmes to the. Uh, where did Grant Holmes go to the A's? Sorry, and Justice Sheffield to the Yankees and. You get the theme there, Brewers and Yankees. Got a lot better during the trade deadline, but let's talk about some of the players. Um, Let's start with number one, Anderson Espinosa. Obviously, he was traded a little earlier, so we covered a little bit. But quickly, I was surprised he ended up being the highest guy moved, and I guess a lot of that is, is he's a guy that's kind of on the on the rise right now as he goes from the Red Sox to the Padres. Um, but but how far away is Espinosa? Because because he's not going to be in the majors anytime soon. No, and I mean and that's the thing. Yeah, it was it was interesting that there wasn't a single uh, you know guy in the top. Uh, I guess he's twentieth overall now. You know, right. top nineteen uh, to to get traded, and then there was that cluster of guys. Uh, you know, twenty to twenty five. Um, you know four guys in that, in that range. So it was, you know, uh, coincidental more than anything. And, and that's the thing with Espinosa. I mean, everybody loves him. If you talk to evaluators anywhere, you know, any general manager would love to get him. And I think getting him for Drew Pomerantz was a very good get, but he's a six foot, 160 pound right-hander who's an A-ball. So there's a lot that could happen, you know, uh, between now and and when he's big league ready. I mean, it looks like he has everything you'd want to be, uh, 
you know, every undersized right-hander ends up being compared to Pedro Martinez if you have electric stuff. But, you know, he, he has the ability to maybe be that guy eventually, but who knows? He's, he's a few years off. Um, you know, we know A.J. Preller, the Padres GM, loves upside. He always has, uh, even since his days with the Rangers. Uh, so this made a lot of sense. And like I said, for Pomerantz, very good return, um, I think. But you're not going to get the benefits of that return for a while. And then you see the Brewers guys, Brinson, the number two guy that's moved, Luis Ortiz, five, uh, Phil Bickford at six. They bring all those guys in, and we'll uh, talk a bit about where that puts them as far as farm system rankings go. But, Jim, those three guys taking away, not talking about the rest of the system, but those three guys, how impressive is it for one trade deadline to be able to bring in that kind of talent? And how long are the Brewers going to have to wait for some of these guys to make it to Milwaukee? I thought it was very impressive. I mean, I... You know, obviously they, they traded some guys who were in demand. I mean, I'll talk about the last guy first. I, I was surprised, and I know his stuff has not been electric throughout the year like it was in college in the Cape Cod League at times. I, I still can't believe they got Phil Bickford, and, and I like Andrew Suzak a little bit too, even though he doesn't qualify as a prospect anymore, for Will Smith. I mean, Will Smith is a good reliever, but he's not like a closer. He's not having a dominant year. And my jaw dropped when that happened. And, you know, and then they paired – Jonathan Lucroy and Jeremy Jeffress, who I think they maximized value on those guys. I mean, they're both good players, but when the Brewers are ready to win, Lucroy is going to be probably you know 33, 34 years old. Uh, you know, as a catcher, I mean, he'll be on the downside of his career. And Jeremy Jeffress, you know, has a great save conversion rate. I think he was 27 for 28 with the Brewers. But for a guy who throws as hard as he does, he doesn't miss a ton of bats. I, I'm not in love with him as a – I don't think he's a lights-out closer. I think he's a good relief arm. And you get Lewis Brinson, who's a potential 30-30 guy. Uh, you know, he still needs some development. He's been banged up this year. And Luis Ortiz, could be a number two or three starter. I, I like those trades a lot. I mean, I think Brinson is closest to being ready. He, he's had a couple of big games in AAA since the, since the trade, since the Brewers promoted him. Uh, you know, I would think we probably see Brinson at, at some point next year. Luis Ortiz. You know, the Brewers aren't going to be rushing guys. So I think we see Brinson next year. We we could see Bickford toward the end of 2017, but it might be 2018 and probably the same timetable for Luis Ortiz as well. And the other team that stands out, I mentioned it, is the Yankees. And for a team that's never really been sellers before. They're pretty good at it. Brian Cashman has been paying attention over the years. Uh, they did a nice job. Obviously, they trade away their, their two of their big three relievers. Uh, they also send off Carlos Beltran. To, but to bring back Clint Frazier from the Indians, Glybar Torres uh, comes over from the Cubs in, in the Chapman deal. And, and then they also add Justice Sheffield and Dylan Tate, who's also on this list. Uh, I mean, that's a great haul. I know Frazier is, is close, Torres a little further away, but... But do the Yankees, if you look at this, can you kind of dream that the Yankees have kind of put together a, a core for the future, Jonathan? Of course, of, of course you can. And I think they did, uh, I think Brian Cashman did extremely well. Uh, you know, if, especially if you consider, uh, you know, Raldis Chapman, free agent at the end of the year, probably not going to re-sign him. Or, you know, if they wanted to, they still could, and, you know, unless the Cubs extend him. And they got a, you know, a guy with the upside of Gleyber Torres, even if he's a couple years away. Now, Andrew Miller had some control left, so you know the value was higher. And you know, to to get Frazier, you know, and Justice Sheffield, who I like a lot, not to mention two, you know, lesser known arms that you never you never know. Um, and then uh, the what may end up being the most impressive trade is you got Carlos Beltran, 
Uh, you know, the Rangers will get him for what, 150 at bats, whatever it's going to be the rest of the year. Who knows what he does at the end of the year? Maybe he, you know, maybe he's even retiring. They got the number four pick in last year's draft, and granted, he, you know, he was strug- he struggled this year. But I mean, there's a lot of talent there. Um, way too early to to necessarily give up on him. Uh, obviously, the Rangers are going for it right now, so I, I understand it. But so while Tate isn't ranked as highly, and he's not, a, not in the top 100, and he's got to sort of hit the reset button, um, <laughs> there's a lot of ability there. Even if they decide, you know, next year. I mean, I've said this a couple times, and Jim, I don't know if you agree, but. I, if I'm the Yankees, I work with him as a starter, maybe send him out as a starter next year so you can see for yourself what there is, and then make the decision after, you know, I don't know, half a season, see how he's doing. Uh, because if you put him in the bullpen, he could get to the big leagues in a hurry, and he's, he's got closer-type stuff. Um, so, you know, he, he, may, he may impact the big league club after, you know, after Frazier. He may be the next to, to impact the big league club of the guys they traded for just if, if they shorten him up to be a relief pitcher. Yeah, and I was going to say one thing I wanted to throw in, too, and I agree, I would do that with Tate Johnson. You know, they, they also got some depth in these deals besides the headliners, too. In the Rolls Chapman trade, they got Billy McKinney back in that deal, yeah. former first-round pick. He's been on the top 100 in the past. He's, he's having a bad year, but he's a pure hitter. Uh, there's some talent there. The other two guys in the, in the Andrew Miller trade, Ben Heller's a guy who throws upper 90s and could be in the big league bullpen very quickly. J.P. Fireisen is, is more of a low to mid-90s guy with a, with a better breaking ball. And, and then even in the, the Rangers trade, they're a little bit more obscure, but Eric Swanson and, and Nick Green are Iowa Community College products with live arms who could wind up helping in the bullpen too. So it's uh, – you know, they, I think not only did they get good headliners, they also got some guys who aren't necessarily going to make our, our Yankees top 30, which got extremely crowded after all these deals. But they got some very talented, you know, secondary pieces in these deals too. The first thing I thought of when Clint Frazier got sent to the Yankees, and I think a lot of people did, was, but what, what about the hair? Like, you know, it happens to so many guys. They get sent to the Yankees with great hair, and, and there you go. But he embraced it big time. It was also one of the first things he said on social media, and then I know there was a picture out on Twitter of him actually at the, the hair place getting the, the red locks cut off. So uh, he is fi- officially part of that Yankee system uh, with the short hair. But we should mention that Espinosa went to the Padres. Also, uh, Jonathan, you have Josh Naylor as the number nine player traded. He was in that Andrew Kashner, Colin Ray trade that ended up just being Andrew Kashner in the end when Colin Ray was sent back. But Josh Naylor also to the Padres. So they get two of the top 10 players that were moved at the deadline. Um, so that kind of changed the whole farm system structure as far as rankings go. And and you look at the preseason rankings and then you look at the midseason <coughs> rankings. And Jim, there's a lot of difference in these, these uh, moves. I mean, you have teams that have really moved up. Uh, so let's get into that. The Brewers were number nine preseason. They make all these moves uh, they are now the number one farm system, according to you. Obviously, we talked about the new guys, but Orlando Arcia made his debut this week. That's a system that was already darn good. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think the teams at the top both have a lot in common, the Brewers and the Yankees, the systems that had talent in them and really took a huge step forward at the trade deadline and had nice drafts as well. But, yeah, I mean, the Brewers, I've said this a bunch. I think I've priced it on the podcast multiple times. <laughs> I really thought last year, from the start of 2015 to the end of 2015, with 
development of players and a nice draft and trades the Brewers made last year. I thought they had the most improved farm system from beginning to end of 2015. And now these trades and getting Corey Ray with the, the fifth overall pick in this year's draft have kind of taken them to the next level. But, you know, a lot of talent. You know, you, we just talked about the three guys they got. They had Orlando Arcia. They drafted Corey Ray. They got Josh Hader and Brent Phillips in, in a trade last year with the – at the deadline, it was actually Doug Melvin trade, one of the last things he did. Got those guys from the Astros in a four-player package for Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires. They drafted Trent Clark in last year's draft, too. And what I like about the system, aside from all the the talent, it's got good balance. There's hitting for talent, and then there's pitching talent. There's guys in the upper levels of the minors. There's guys in the lower levels of the minors. So you can't go to see a Brewers Farm Club and not see some players who are going to really impress you. And that doesn't even count guys like – Cody Ponce and Cody Medeiros and Eason Diaz and Jacob Nottingham, and, and they have some international guys coming too, Gilbert Lara. You go on and on and on. Uh, incredible depth, incredible top-end talent. Now, the Yankees weren't even in the top ten preseason, so obviously they get the, this nice group at the trade deadline. But were there players that were already in the system, Jonathan? Were they kind of on the rise already? Was this a Yankees team that even without the deadline moves was set to kind of move into that top ten? Uh, you know, without having done the uh, the scientific research that yeah. Jim did, I don't know if they would have been top ten, but they were definitely on on the rise. Uh, with you know, you look at what Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge on the on the on cusp of being big league great. They already had Jorge Mateo. Uh, they added Blake Rutherford uh, in the draft. Miguel Andujar took a, a big step forward. There's there was some very good talent on the on this system uh, in this system rather. So I think that they were probably on the cusp. Um, you know, maybe maybe back into that top ten, and then obviously the trades pushed them up. Um, I want to go back to the Brewers for a half a second. I was just thinking about it. The two of the biggest trades they've made over you know 2015 and 2016 came on the heels of trades that blew up. Oh, Carlos both, Gomez, yeah. right? So Carlos Gomez trade with Mets fell apart. They they ended up making a better deal with the Astros, bringing in more talent. Lucroy torpedoes the the trade to the Indians. And then they end up making the trade with the Rangers where they bring in more talent. So I, I guess if I'm the second team that the, the Brewers call after a trade it explodes, I'm a little worried. <laughs> At least you know you're going to get the deal done. I guess that's, that's, the, true. that's the positive. That's true. Uh, so it's Brewers number one, Yankees number two farm system, then uh, Astros three, Pirates four, and Dodgers five. Those are all teams that were that were in the mix. The Astros move up seven spots. Pirates move up four spots. The Dodgers were number one preseason. Uh, they fall back to five. Now, they dealt away some talent um, to, to bring in some players. So to be able to kind of – and the preseason also in, included Corey Seager, I guess. So to be able to graduate a player, move some players away, and stay in the top five, Jim, that's, that shows the kind of depth that that Dodgers system had. No, it, it does. I mean, you know, even though Corey Seager doesn't count anymore, they still have a ton of young hitting play, talent, guys like Cody Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, Willie Calhoun, Yusniel uh, Diaz, Omar Estevez. Um, and even though they, they gave up some of their pitching depth uh, to get Rich Hill and Josh Reddick from the A's, they gave up three guys uh, who are in their top 10 or 15 prospects. They still have Aureus, They still have Jose De Leon. Yadier Alvarez is looking really, really good at the start of his career. They've got a couple of Vanderbilt pitchers I like a lot, Walker Bueller and uh, Sheffield's brother Jordan. So it's still still a lot of depth in that system. Although you know, one of the things I was going to point out with these rankings, uh, and, and I kind of authored these after we had a joint effort in the spring, 
They're so dependent on when you do them because when I did the rankings, Jameson Tyone still counts as a prospect, and I think he will come off whenever he makes his next start. If he goes, I think, two innings, he'll come off the list, and that would affect the Pirates' rankings. The Dodgers just called Julio Urias up. Uh, I think this week, a couple days ago. And when he pitches a little bit more, he'll come off the list. So if we were to redo this list, say, a week or, or 10 days from now, the, the, the Pirates and Dodgers would drop from four and five because they lost elite talents who will no longer qualify as prospects. Now the Nationals are number six, and they weren't in the preseason top ten. And obviously we know they had Trey Turner and, and Lucas Giolito, but what makes that system special um, and, and into a, to this caliber? Obviously those two guys still on there, um, but, but what else? What's the depth to that national system? Well, you know, it's funny because I was going to say, I think that the, on Twitter, the, the, the comments outside of love from Milwaukee that I've been dinged the most about are, how can the Nationals be that high and how can the Braves be that low? Because I have the Braves at nine. And I, I'll admit that I tend to lean towards – I tend to lean towards the high-end talent over the depth if I had to pick between the two. And I think with Giolito, they've got the best pitching prospect in baseball. Trey Turner is a speed player, and and I I often am not high on speed players as much as other guys are because a lot of times that's all they can do. But Trey Turner's got some pop. He's got some versatility. I like Trey Turner a lot. I think Victor Robles is a guy whose tools stack up with just about anybody's in the minors. You know, beyond those those big three, all in the top 16 prospects on our list, you have Reynaldo Lopez, who, who's got an explosive fastball. I really like Eric Fetty. And that, that's the top 100 crew. But I also like I, I like their draft. I mean, I like guys like Carter Keboom and Dane Dunning and Sheldon Noisy. Walmer Defoe's a guy who kind of gets lost in the shuffle, as does Austin Voss. But, both, but, they, but they both have played very well. He's not a, a top, top, top prospect, but Coda Glover was the second guy from last year's draft to make it to the big leagues. They got a potential first-rounder, Jesus Lizardo, who, like, like, like Giolito and Eric Fetty, needed Tommy John before he got drafted. So that could be a steal. I think their depth is underrated, but I really, really like the guys at the top of that system. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the, more than anything, um, the step forward that, the steps forward that Robles and Lopez made Robles in particular. And that I remember when we did our preseason rankings, uh, we had a feeling that we, you know, we were going to, he was going to end up moving way up and, and he certainly has, has earned that. And he's one of the most dynamic uh, five tool guys uh, in, in minor league baseball right now. And he's only 19. Uh, so, you know, between that and what Reynaldo Lopez has done, and he's now up in triple a and knocking on the door, uh, you know, for for a more extended look, I know he you know he made a couple of starts uh, in the Bigleys, but uh, th- those those steps of those two guys, sort of joining that elite level, is for me what you know uh, warranted that jump into the top ten. Now, Jonathan, Jim mentioned that he's uh, he's taking a, a bit of a beating on Twitter because of the Braves. They fall. He well, even yeah. predicted it beforehand, but <laughs> they fall from number two to number nine. And obviously, this is a team that that has a lot of. They've added a lot of players to that system. They um, drafted some players as well. But when you saw these new rankings. Uh, you can take a shot at Jim if you want. Here, were you uh, surprised? I think Jonathan's got an anonymous account. And he has been taking shots at me. <laughs> yeah, you that's um, I'm, I'm that Twitter. guy on comments uh, all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to make sure I didn't short out my laptop because of the spit take when I saw <laughs> the top ten. Um, I was shocked, shocked and appalled. Really, no. Um, I understand. I, you know, 
if I were doing the list, I would probably have had the Braves a, a little bit higher, uh, but but probably not not much higher. Uh, the the collection of names of players that they have they have now are very impressive, but you know, outside of maybe what Swanson and Albies, uh, there are lots of question marks um, now. A lot of these question marks could be answered, and then they'll move up. You know, Sean Newcomb, still a very exciting left arm, still has trouble finding the strike zone. Colby Allard, people need to see him pitch over a, a full season and and stay healthy and and uh, n- not get hit in in low A ball. Um, you know, I, I think so many of these guys are so far away. I mean, Ian Anderson's from the draft; he could be very good, but we need to see him pitch. Uh, I like Mike Soroka a lot, uh, a lot. I think he's one who's sort of done what you want from from a first-round pick. With Tuki Toussaint, has had some trouble. Yeah, they traded for, traded for Travis Demerit. That was a nice trade, uh, but you need to see what he does not in the high desert. Um, you know, Max Fried coming off of Tommy John surgery. A lot of high school arms, guys who are far away. Kevin Macon may end up uh, being – you know, the best guy in the system when all is said and done, but he's yet to play a professional inning. So uh, I think, you know, that you have to have a little bit of a wait and see with them. But a lot of the guys that they did get in previous trades uh, have not really stepped up or made that step forward, and I think that's what's sort of keeping them in the in the lower part of the, of the top ten. There you go, Jim. He's got your back. I appreciate that. And I'll just throw in, I'm going to address this more in the pipeline inbox, which will be out later today. But but he did kind of sum up, I mean, you know, I was talking before about the balance of the Brewers system. I, I really like Dansby Swanson. You guys know that. And, and Ozzie Albies. And I'm intrigued by Kevin Maiton. But but you, you look at this system, you know, and again, I like the system. I ranked him in the top ten, so I'm not dumping on the system. But it's very pitching heavy. And if you look at the pitchers, I don't know if they have a, a, a guy who's in the top 15 on their list, a pitcher, and it's dominated by pitchers. I think there's 10 or 11 pitchers in top 15. I, I don't know if they have any of those pitchers has a clean health history, throws strikes, and has had a success above low A. I don't think they have a single pitcher who meets those three criteria. So while I, I'm intrigued by a lot of these arms, just a natural attrition with pitchers anyway, and there's already – I don't know if I call them red flags, but there, there's at least things you'd, you'd like to see that were a little bit different. Yeah, you know, and I like the pitchers they got out of this year's draft. You know, Anderson, Muller, and uh, and, and Wentz, who haven't had really had a chance to go out and do anything yet. But all that's all I'm saying is that these pitchers have a long way to go. So I'm not quite as high on them as others might be. This thing is so subjective. If you want to argue that the Braves should be fifth or sixth on the list, I, I think you could do that. You know, because you, you, you could shuffle these up in a lot of different orders. But I, I had Braves fans on me when I suggested they weren't going to be number one or two on my list, and I don't know how you would take the Braves system over the Brewers or the Yankees or the Astros right now. Yeah. And then let, me, let me just chime in very quickly because I felt some of that um, uh, vitriol may be a little bit strong. People on Twitter argue because I do the Braves top 30. And, you know, there is some depth. You know, the, you go down the list and there's some interesting guys, but going at me for, you know, guys who are 25 to 30 or 20 to 21 to 30, the back end of the list, you know, how do you have this guy on there and not this guy? I'm like, really? So, you know, but listen, the Braves fans, it's been, it's been a rough year. The big league team is not good. 
all all they have to look forward to is what this farm system is going to produce for them. So uh, kudos to them for keeping up with it and and being passionate about it. But uh, maybe maybe a little more decaf. Absolutely. Yeah, somebody <laughs> said on Twitter, and I, and I think it's apt uh, that essentially when your your big league team is terrible, and the Braves are terrible right now, and all your hope is in your farm system, those fans tend to get a little bit more uh, energetic, shall we say, about uh, extolling the virtues of that farm system. Absolutely. I mean, the focus on the future, for sure, for Atlanta. All right, speaking of the future of a few teams, we had some big league debuts this week for some top prospects. Um, Andrew Benintendi with the Red Sox, Oswaldo Arcia uh, with the Brewers. Gary Sanchez also was back up, not making his major league debut, but he's back up with the Yankees. He got his first major league hit on Wednesday. Uh, Benintendi, number seven prospect in the top 100, number two on the Red Sox list behind Yoan Mancata. Uh, and he came through with a couple of hits on Wednesday night um, after an 0 for 2 pinch hit situation in his major league debut. Um, he skyrocketed from being drafted a year ago, obviously. Um, kind of like Alex Bregman, how quickly these guys move from being college stars to uh, to the big leagues. But with that, there's obviously some catching up to do. So Ben Intendi, I know he has tools, plenty of tools, and plenty to give to this Red Sox team. But how many, um, I guess, how many bumps in the road are there going to be? And can he really give this team a spark here the rest of 2016, Jim? Yeah, I think he can give them a nice spark. I mean, as much as they've had uh... – the the best offense in baseball to this point. They haven't gotten a lot of production out of left field. I think he can he can definitely upgrade that. The thing I like too is he's he's not a feast or famine hitter. I mean this is a guy who controls the strike zone very well. In the minors he had more extra base hits and more walks and strikeouts. So I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he's necessarily going to come in and be what he's going to be in his prime, which is a 300 hitter who's a a 2020 guy. I'm not saying he'll do that right away, but I also don't think he'll be overwhelmed by big league pitching like like other guys might who aren't as polished at the plate as he is. And I mean, shoot, you, you, you defensively too. I mean, he he played a little left field in the minors. He, he's a, he's a true center fielder, and now the Red Sox really have three true center fielders in that outfield. That, that might be the most athletic outfield in baseball with Ben Intendi, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Mookie Betts. What's that? I said, careful, I live in Pittsburgh. The, the guy that lives careful. in Pittsburgh has a problem. These guys are younger, so they might be more athletic. I, I said All right. I didn't say well. But, yeah, that's fair. Uh, the good, good point. But, you know, it's, I just think he's going to upgrade them offensively and defensively. Two hits in his first uh, big league start. And, and you guys know because you were there too, and I, I couldn't stop talking about it. Just watching him take BP at the Futures game. Yeah, you know, and he is. I mean, it's funny. I asked him about being five ten, one seventy. If people kind of sell his power short, and his comment to me was five ten. I'll take it. I'm probably more for like five nine. But yeah, I, man, he, uh, I'm a little taller than him, and I'm definitely five ten. So. Yeah, but but anyway, you know, so you know, watching him take BP, you can see where the power comes from because. His bat is so quick. He, he makes a lot of hard contact to begin with, but his bat is so quick. His bat speed is, is, is you know, if we were grading it, I think he'd put an 80 on the bat speed or at least a 70. It's tremendous bat speed. And he's hitting balls that got out of Petco in about two seconds. Uh, it, it was fun to watch. I, I just I think this guy is going to be a star. Um, you know, I'm a full believer in Andrew Benintendi. You know, even during the draft last year, it was kind of crazy because it started off like I, you know, like he wasn't really on people's radar. I mean, they knew he was eligible as a sophomore, but and he was a guy coming out of high school in Ohio. But he'd been banged up as a freshman, hit one home run in Arkansas, so he wasn't like a priority guy. And he got off to a good start, and he wound up leading NCAA in homers and was everybody's college play of the year. 
But it was like, hey, you know, this guy could go in the top 50 picks. And then, like, this guy could go, like, you know, around the 25th pick or so. And then it was, this guy might go upper half of the first round. And every time I talked to people, it was something new. Then it was top 10. And then it was like, oh, he's not going to get to us at the back of the top 10. Uh, and, and so while I, I mean, I was all in on this guy. I didn't think – I never necessarily thought he'd be in the big leagues this quickly, but, I mean, he's just hit and looked you know, very comfortable wherever they've sent him. So Ben Benintendi, the athletic outfielder, uh, Oswaldo Arcia, Jonathan, an infielder, a shortstop, and, and a different kind of player, um, although still plenty of tools, maybe not the power that Ben Benintendi has, but, but is he faster? I mean, where does Arcia fit in? He's the number 13 prospect in the top 100. He was the Brewers' number one prospect. Um, is he as ready as Ben Benintendi to take on the major leagues? Well, it's interesting because, you know, heading into the year, I thought that he was just going to need a little bit of time uh, and, and to be ready. And I thought he was going to be one of the, the first uh, of the top prospects to, to, to impact, you know, if the Brewers decided to call him up. Um, and then he struggled a little bit in AAA. Um, I don't know if he, you know, thought he was ready uh, or – uh, or, or what the reason was, but he really, you know, scuffled um, a little bit, and you know, he hit well in April, and then kind of hit a bump in June. He only hit 235 in June. He bounced back uh, in, in July a little bit, but you know, the overall numbers are not uh, really where they've been. Um, you know, they're playing Colorado Springs now. His home road splits are he, are huge, and this is not a a huge power guy. But uh, his, his OPS was 856 at home and 599 on the road. So I don't know if that got in his head. Whatever the reason, defensively he's ready to play. I mean, he's going to be a plus defensive shortstop. He's unbelievably fun to watch. Um, and for the longest time, his glove was well ahead of his bat, and then the bat kind of caught up, and that's what you know shot him up of our rankings. And uh, that just backed up a little bit this year. So I think he's ready to contribute at the big league level. I don't know that he, you know, necessarily will have the same offensive impact right away, but he's going to help out, uh, you know, playing shortstop uh, on, on a regular basis for that team. I mean, I think that upgrades their infield automatically. All right, one more topic I wanted to cover with you guys in this podcast is TJ Friedel. Um, and you guys can maybe explain this to me as well as, <laughs> as our listeners. But here's a guy that was signed by the Reds. Uh, this week or, or late last week or soon it's or is going to happen i'm not even sure of that but uh but with a big bonus coming and he's a guy that technically was eligible for the draft and you think would have been drafted at some point maybe high up but he wasn't drafted um maybe you can each take a shot at trying to explain why this happened and why this guy wasn't drafted and uh and why we're seeing him now move into to professional baseball jim you want to take the first crack yeah i mean he, he guy it's it, part of it doesn't make sense and i think a little bit maybe trying to uh guys maybe trying to cover themselves after he emerges this summer but but tj friedel is eligible for the draft as a sophomore and he was a redshirt sophomore and there's some thought that like the, the people didn't realize he was eligible and nobody turned him in and the kid didn't know he was eligible but the thing that's goofy about that well there's two things that are goofy about it are one, he played in 2014. So if, if you're scouting Nevada, you saw him play in 2014. So you would know this is his third year. 
at Nevada, which would automatically make him eligible. Two, I mean, Johnson and I both talked to a lot of scouts, and, and they go to a ton of games, and they have downtime. And if you see T.J. Friedel's hitting 400 at Nevada and you see that he's a sophomore on the roster you have when you're at the game, the guys are going to, you know, most guys are going to, like, click on the roster, hey, better check out see if this guy's eligible, and look at his bio on the website. And if you looked at the bio, you would have seen that he played in 2014. It was his third year there. I mean, he had a really nice year for Nevada but didn't hit for a lot of power. I suspect, I mean, now you're starting to hear from people who say, oh, I, I did know about him. I just wasn't that high on him. And he really emerged this summer with Team USA and became a better prospect and because nobody took him, became a free agent. But I think this whole oh, nobody knew about him, I think, A, it's a little overstated, and, B, it, it doesn't even make sense because the, the people should have known about him. And I think if I'm a scouting director and, I'm, and I see this guy play with, with Team USA this summer and the Reds sign him for $735,000, I'm asking my area guy, why didn't we turn this guy in? And that's where I think some of this, oh, we didn't know that he's eligible, came from. But, you know, interesting story, most money ever – that I know of for an undrafted free agent. I mean, Bobby Kilty got $500,000 back in 1999 after a huge summer on the Cape, and, and Felipe Perez got $400,000 from the D-backs in 2012. But uh, nice addition for the Reds. How about you, Jonathan? Maybe just talk about Friedel and, and he goes to the Reds. Um, how are they able to be the team ahead of the curve on this? Yeah, I mean, for whatever happened and whatever the reason for people missing him or covering themselves for having missed them. You know, you give credit to the Reds, and there were a couple of other teams. Uh, it seems like the Rays and Blue Jays were really on him. And this guy hit 400 last spring um, and then really was playing well. Uh, first it was the, the, you know, the USA Trials and then for the, for the college team. And he's, you know, he's, a, he's a speed guy, probably top of the order, good approach at the plate, not a ton of power, but uh, not going to get the bat knocked out of his hands. Uh, very, very good defensive center fielder. Now, he played uh, left mostly for Team USA um, just because Jaron Kendall of Vanderbilt, and we'll be talking about him a lot next year uh, as a draft prospect. He played center. Uh, but uh, the Reds feel that he can really play center field. And, listen, they, they did a very nice job identifying the talent and, uh, and, and paying for him. Now, you know, I think the interesting thing is that had teams – sorted this out a little bit sooner, say June 18th or somewhere around there, not long after the draft, where they had not used up all of their pools, he probably would have gotten even more than what the Reds are, are, are going to give him um, just you know because they would have spread it around. I mean, uh, high end, I think people looked at him as like a second-round pick, so he, he may have gotten close to seven figures. Uh, otherwise, uh, now he's going to get a little bit north of 700000 Uh Still, for, for a guy who evidently didn't know you know he was eligible himself uh, a few weeks ago that's uh that's pretty good payday yeah pretty cool for him and and a wild story and it's always neat to to see weird stuff like this happen just because you think everybody's accounted for as far as the draft goes with with all the technology and all the scouts and everything and for something like this to happen certainly interesting all right it's been another great podcast guys thanks so much uh for Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, tune in uh, next week, of course, and, and tune in to MLBPipeline.com. Read all their latest stuff. Jim mentioned the, uh, the mailbag coming up later today. So thanks for listening in to the Pipeline Podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.